0: welcome back to Afternoon Bloom. My name is Rachel Helm and I'm here today with a very special guest. Maria Fiallos is sitting down with me today. Now Maria is my boss, um, first and foremost for me, (laughs) but to everybody else, Maria has a grand introduction. She is the co-owner of Las Chicas del Café, the roastery that I work at. She's also a co-owner of Streamliners Espresso Bar in St. Thomas. She is the chairwoman of Los Frutos del Café, a charity in Nicaragua. And I mean, you were an importer, you have a blog, I mean, I could go on and on and on about Maria forever, I think she's the coolest, so I'm very excited today that you sat down with me, so thank you for being here. Oh, it's my (laughs) absolute pleasure. Yeah, so... We um we've been working together for a while, yeah. um, we seem to get along pretty well. So I'm happy that you are <laughs> you're my first guest today. I wouldn't want anybody else to you know take the first guest spot. You know, so I just kind of wanted to talk about and something I'd like to do with all my future guests is kind of know how you got into coffee to begin with. I mean we both know that I fell into coffee on some pure luck train. Um, We're both very happy about it. I'm very happy about it. Very lucky. So we were very lucky to find each other. But I'd love to know how, I mean, I do know, but I'd love everyone else to know how you started
1: in coffee. What what was the beginning for you? Um, Well, I think there's two beginnings. Mm -hmm. There's the natural beginning, which was just having the luck of being born into a um, coffee-producing family starting with my great-grandfather down to then next my grandfather and obviously my dad. So all three incredible coffee growers. And my childhood was spent at a coffee farm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the natural progression in terms of I began drinking coffee probably before I could walk. (laughs) I, you know... (laughs) Drinking Uh. coffee with my grandpa out of a saucer just so that you didn't burn your lips. But he wanted to (laughs) share his coffee coffee with you. um, Waking up every morning and going out on the plantations with my dad because, you know, what kid doesn't want to. Go right. and drive around in a Jeep, ride right. the uh, horses. And, a mountain. <laughs> yeah, and spend your mornings just running around the coffee plantations or playing on the coffee patios. So I'll say that was probably my natural introduction to coffee. And when you are so immersed in that, you don't, everything seems so natural. So being surrounded by plantations, Playing on coffee patios, you know, seeing all the women always come down during harvest for picking. Mm -hmm. That was just a natural thing. Um, When we had to leave Nicaragua because of the Civil War and went through years of exile and then eventually finding our way to Canada, it was many years that coffee was not a part of my daily livelihood. In fact, uh, I became a tea drinker when we came to Canada because I just couldn't stand (laughs) the coffee. So we'll like, just switch terrible. to tea. Uh, just drink tea. <laughs> and um we were lucky enough that towards the mid nineties their Nicaragua became a lot more politically stable. Mm. And my dad decided that we would go back and have our first visit. So that was probably my second introduction to coffee now as a twenty two year old going back to Nicaragua after. I'm twenty two right now. Yeah, no. Oh full circle. Yeah, no, full circle. <laughs> uh going back and discovering coffee in a whole new way. We happen to go down during harvest, which is usually, it can start late December, go well into end of March, depending where your farm is located on the mountains. So I had that first introduction where now I saw coffee in a completely different way. I could see the work that it entailed, the dynamics between um, pickers and growers and the patio men and what coffee now meant to the community. That was 1995. Um, My dad was beginning to think about the farm had been somewhat neglected during the war. My grandfather had passed on. My grandmother was um, getting older and unable to take care of the farm as well. So the idea of possibly taking care of the farm again, uh, it sprouted. And the following year, 1996, I was able to spend from the end of October till mid-February. So practically most of that harvest in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. And that's really when I completely fell madly in love with coffee in all all its ways. Socially, environmentally, economically. I just couldn't believe that I had this opportunity to work. So it completely changed my life. My life took a complete... A detour as to where I thought I was going to do what I was going to be. And it's been coffee ever since.
0: Yeah. And it's funny how leaving and coming back can totally change yeah. your perspective. Because you know?
1: yeah, it's certainly like my childhood is filled with amazing memories right. in the coffee farm and in and that emotional aspect of coffee. And maybe anyone that's grown up in any kind of farm environment, you always have that Pulled towards what that meant, those mornings, those, those coffee rituals. Um, but going back later, as a now young adult, as a university student, mm-hmm. you know, at this, even though it was still a very romantic view of coffee, mm-hmm. now it became a lot more of, wow, I'm capable of being able to do so much with this product. Right. That just that means literally the world to these people who are producing it. Yeah, so sure. So I count um, myself extremely lucky for being able to also just accidentally fall into <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We, it worked
0: out for both yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was 1995 that yes. you spent the, the time during the yeah, harvest. Yeah, 96. 96. Okay. And it was also in 96 that you decided you were going to start importing coffee. Yes. So that the the first greens.
1: harvest, I got to see... Um, From the end of October, I got to see all the preparations, Mm -hmm. you know, all the growers preparing and getting ready for what this harvest would mean. I got to, it was every day, I spent my days at the farm every day talking to growers, talking to pickers, and knowing what the expectations of every year, thinking, you know, this harvest might be really good, maybe we'll Mm -hmm. be able to get this much, prices, this, that. Um, We began picking that year just shortly after Christmas, maybe the you know maybe right after the new year. Mm-hmm. So those those first 6 weeks into uh 1997 was all about the picking, all about the quality and what we needed to make sure that we had. Mm-hmm. Um and then the year progressed to okay, now we got to get this coffee to market. Right. And that's when I decided that I really needed to do something about that. And be able to somehow bring the coffee to market to Canada. So 1997, the harvest of Mm 1997-98, was my first coffee harvest that I delivered to Canadian roasters.
0: Right. Which is so cool. Let's just take a second for that. Because that is so cool, people. Uh, It's such a feat to figure out, you know, how you're going to get it shipped and packaged and put it on a boat and deal with all the logistics getting to Canada. I mean... Yeah, that's a lot of work. I had no idea. Right. Oh my God.
1: That's that's the beauty of when I think when you're doing something that you're so passionate about, that no doesn't exist in your vocabulary. So it was like, okay, I need to do this. All right, great. I need to learn about brokerage all right I'll learn about brokerage <laughs> hedging yeah. what is that right. sure I'll, I'll figure that out yeah. and we managed to bring that first harvest to Canada which I still thought now I think about it and I'm like I, I knew nothing I knew yeah. nothing <laughs> so oh my except that I knew that the only way that my dad and all these other growers that I had grown so close to in two years mm-hmm. and, and these were growers that you know as soon as they would see me they'd be like oh you when you were two years old <laughs> so I was dealing with it all of older yeah. um, men that it it I had to do a lot of study and a lot of work to mm-hmm. prove to them that I knew what I was talking about and right. that they could entrust me with their product yeah even though I was just a you know 22 23 year old girl that all I wanted to was to say no if we if we take it to Canada I bet you we can do a better price
0: right. Yeah, because, and that was my next question is, what was that like starting? I can't imagine me, being my age, going down and trying to sort this whole thing out. I mean, to be taken seriously. I mean, what was the, I mean, even nowadays, there's a huge gender gap in the the coffee industry, and we don't need to dive too much into that today. But I, I, you know, I can only imagine what it was like starting, (laughs) starting this, you know, young female, just like
1: facing... (laughs) I think, and, you know, I have two daughters. Yes. I think that the one thing I say to them all the time is, if you are not doing something that you are extremely passionate about, something that just consumes you, then you will find any excuse to give up. So that's what it was like for me with this, with Mm -hmm. coffee. I could see the work that my dad had put into trying to re- you know, renovate the farm after being engulfed in civil war for so many years. I knew what it had meant to my grandmother to stay. My My grandfather passed on really early into the war. So my grandmother, as a, a widower, to try to maintain that farm, I knew what it meant to the um, employees at the farm to hang on to the fact that they had loved my grandfather. They loved my grandmother. And they wanted to make sure that the farm survived through the war. And that was in the, you know, they. my grandmother wasn't the only one in that position. Many growers in the area were. Uh, it's an extremely poor, poor area of Nicaragua. So five cents made a huge difference. Uh, and and that work, that constant work that doesn't end, that they they wake up. At the crocodile, and they work until there is absolutely nothing else they could do. Mm-hmm. So, having witnessed that, whatever little challenge I was facing in Canada, I just thought, well, that just pales in comparison what they're trying to do in order to produce this product. And I think that because I was just so engulfed into what coffee meant for that community, um, you know, and I sort of keep going back to those words like economically, socially, environmentally. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. three little words, but they represent so much that when, yeah, there was nothing, I think, that there, and there was tons of stuff that I had to do, (laughs) trust me, um, to do that from having to get over the fear of calling someone who had never heard of me and just say, literally, this was my spiel to them. Hi, my name is Maria. My dad's a coffee grower in Nicaragua. I have some coffee samples. Could I send you some? And of course, there were tons of people that probably hung up the phone and laughed. <laughs> right. Basta. Bye, Maria. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were, uh, and I think, I mean, it didn't help too that the quality of the product was outstanding. So there's right. few people that said, "Sure, send me a sample. Mm-hmm. I love to taste it." From to go from that. To, at the time, 1998, or maybe mid of 1997, having someone like George Howell, who, if you're into coffee, you're pretty much, you know, he's considered the guru Mm -hmm. um, of coffee, the startup of the coffee movement. I mean, we are going well beyond Starbucks.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And to have someone like him say, I want to meet you, let's meet up at this uh we met up in denver of nine in 1998 april of 1998 and for him to say your coffee is probably one of the top five coffees that i tasted this year mm. and do what you're doing because this is incredible coffee i'm that so early into it yeah. then solidified and i said okay i mean i was doing this for a lot of emotional and and um you know, sentimental reasons sure, and, yeah. and wanted to help out. But now I knew I had a gold of a product in yes, my hands. Yes,
0: I mean, what a confidence Yeah, based. and
1: I just thought, then I'm not taking no for an answer. Right. And, and importing, it's extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I did it for so many years and eventually led me to a natural progression into roasting mm-hmm. because it was the only way I felt. The, the closer I get to the consumer, then the easier it's going to be to earn a better price for the grower. Right. Because as an importer, I still had to get through that roaster. Mm -hmm. I still had to convince that roaster that it was worth their time in educating the consumer mm-hmm. and 20 years ago people are like Nicker, i want coffee what <laughs> right. uh you know you yeah. bring bourbon what <laughs> like there's nothing unless you were speaking it's ethiopian it's kenyan or it's colombian right nobody wanted to open the doors for you mm. and that's what led me to thinking no i i need to start roasting and i need to start showcasing this product in a different way mm-hmm. and um you know One thing to another last Chica's duck when I was (laughs) born. born.
0: Which is so cool. I mean, I feel like you've had just the most unique introduction to coffee. Yeah. I love that you started there in full circle. We've ended up back there. And where we are now, even to this day, the roastery in the train station, it reminds us of Nicaragua. Nicaragua. I mean, yeah. gave me the opportunity to go to Nicaragua last year, so I got to see for myself. And it, it's really coming full circle. Yeah. We're, really, right we're
1: really bringing things back around. Yes. And I think that's really what what fuels me, the fact that I knew what this product could do um, for the people that are growing it and um, even for the people that are consuming it, for crying out loud, if you're going to drink coffee, you got to drink good coffee. Right. I know. That's
0: been my <laughs> message. I'm like, please, people, if you're going to drink it, drink it well. <laughs> Don't drink bad coffee. Right. Oh, <laughs> nothing worse. So, yeah, I've, you touched on a lot of points there. Um Those three big words we were talking about, economics, you know, sustainability, fair trade, these are all things I like to discuss with you because they are such fad words right now. So anybody can come out and say, I mean, every website I look at, every coffee person I follow, every single person says they're fair trade, says they're direct, says, you know, they know the grower. You are related to the grower like this is family to you so I I love that it takes it you know truly a step deeper and we see the real struggles from the grower side and from Mm -hmm. the farming perspective which gets so swallowed in the the cost of coffee and the way people I mean as long as you hear direct trade I think people are sold it's like oh yeah the coffee must be must be good good. must be it it leads it alludes to all these other things that are you know there's no proof or fact of those things so my goal for the end of this episode is just kind of break down from your perspective, having family, you know, generations of growers who've been doing this for so long. Yes. What are the costs before we dive into what sustainability even is? Yes. I I just want to break down costs. I mean, and and I love the way you bring it up about how, um, you know, we don't dig into every business's plan or like how they, you know, run their money, but it's important to know these things, especially when, I mean, the fact of coffee prices, if I'm not wrong, Mm -hmm. are lower now than they were 22 years ago when you started importing coffee.
1: They're at a third than what they were when I started.
0: I mean, how does that even happen? And and I think you explain it beautifully, and and I'd love to dive into that because I I had
1: no idea. When you pointed that out to me, I was like,
0: what the (laughs) heck is wrong with this? And I, I think that just needs to be. Debunked. Yeah, I mean, when
1: you think about it, in terms of from in terms of a consumer, consumers are probably paying more now for coffee than they ever have. Wow. I mean, if you just even think about how much you're paying for a cup of coffee at, shall we say, Starbucks, uh-huh. compared to where you were paying a cup of coffee f- twenty years ago, right? And yet, growers at the um, you know C market price, which is the New York commodity price for uh-huh. coffee they're getting a third of what they could get 20 years ago. Okay. It's um it's heartbreaking. And I think what a lot of people forget is the fact that coffee growers are entrepreneurs. Right. Coffee growers are business people. Mm-hmm. They are producing a product that has a certain um you know cost to produce and they have every right to take that product to the market and get the price that they want to get. That's how every single business in North America works. Mm -hmm. We open up a business and we decide, this is what my cost of production is. This is what I want my profit to be. Mm -hmm. And if I want to do research and development, this is how much it's going to cost. And this is the price that I want. And there's a consumer out there that is willing to pay a price for everything. There are those consumers that still uh, insist on in paying four ninety nine dollars for a kilo of coffee. Mm-hmm. And then there are those consumers that are willing to pay more. Right. And I think the difference there lies in really in educating that consumer mm-hmm. and also in giving that place to the coffee grower as a business partner. Right. And that has never happened, and that's why you have coffee growers that are continuously stuck in this poverty cycle and this misery cycle I mean my dad used to say to me when we first started I just want to take these growers from misery to simple poverty (laughs) you know because some of them you just think how are you surviving you're not you're 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 barely surviving Mm -hmm. and if any of us in North America ran a business and We're told what someone is willing to pay for that. I don't think too many of us would run a business. No. None of us (laughs) would. Who are you to tell me Breaking, Yeah, exactly. Breaking your back, uh, giving it all you got, and then someone would come and say to you, you think it's worth $3? I'll give you 50 cents. Right. Like such a slap in the face. Yeah, so it's been a long time because in order to make those changes at the farm level... The consumer has to be willing to pay for that. But the consumer hasn't been educated. The consumer has been led to think that coffee costs $5 a pound. Yeah. And um, and that they shouldn't have to pay for more than that. Mm-hmm. So that if you're asking them to pay, um, you know, $15 for 340 grams or uh, $20 for 340 grams or whatever the price happens to be out there, mm-hmm that that's a rip off that right. that shouldn't happen but if you do your bath your math backwards how much do you think that grower is getting paid when you are buying coffee for a dollar 99 a right. giant tiger yeah can i say that i i would <laughs> I don't know if, <laughs> <laughs> if you're buying your coffee at but, giant you tiger know, I'm sorry. <laughs> or sorry right um, so it's it's that whole perception of yeah these these are entrepreneurs they're working, they're producing a product, they have every right to say what that product is. Right. And what irritates me the most is when, you know, they they want a lump, well, if a coffee is from Ethiopia, it's this much. If a coffee is from Colombia, it's this much. For if a coffee is from Nicaragua, it's for this much. Every coffee grower has their own distinct circumstances, they have their own distinct abilities. You know, some of them are producing coffee where they don't have running water. Some of them are producing coffee where they have too much water. Mm-hmm. Some of them are producing coffee at 1,000 meters above sea levels. Others are producing coffee at 2,000 meters above sea levels. Mm-hmm. The circumstances, the topography, the geography, the political uh, situation, all, all of it is different. Mm-hmm. So why can't every single one of those coffee growers dictate what their price is? Right and ultimately the market decides right if the consumer doesn't want to pay for that then maybe the mar- the grower has priced themselves out of the market mm-hmm. but we're not even giving the grower that opportunity we're not even giving them that chance we're yeah. saying you got to produce coffee right now mm-hmm. coffee prices around a dollar 3 U.S. per pay- pound at the New York Sea Market. That's what we're saying to growers. Yeah, a can dollar per
0: pound. You guys, let's just yeah. reiterate: they make one dollar per pound of coffee, <laughs>
1: green beans. Right. So it's like we're saying, can you, that's what you got to produce. Yeah, and that that to me is where my whole uh, business plan has always gone against everything that was in the market, mm-hmm. you know. At the very beginning, people saying, just going to import Nicaraguan coffee? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just from that small little area in Las Havanas? Yes. Because I'm not in every uh, grower in Las Havanas has different circumstances to a grower in Dipilto to mm-hmm. a grower in Matagalpa. Mm-hmm. That's only three uh, areas in Nicaragua. So I wanted to focus on the growers that I knew, in the circumstances that I knew, because that is the way that I could help them best. I couldn't help someone in Matagalpa that I really didn't know what they needed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or not that I knew what they needed, but that they could tell me what they needed. Right, it's and the open have communication. That, yeah, and yeah. have that connection. So those are the growers that I chose to work with. And we started to work at that. And it was years of, okay, let's price your product. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't even know. You know, my dad would be like, well, maybe we can get this much for the coffee. I'd be <laughs> like, well, okay, but how much is it costing you to to pick it? Yes. And how much is it costing you to um, uh, prune the trees? How much is it costing us to feed the uh, um, ladies picking them every every mm-hmm. day? How much is it costing us to buy medications for them? Uh, all those costs that, Every business usually has, right. and you add them up, and you go, this is our cost of production or cost of manufacturing. The coffee grower had no idea because yeah. they were so used to just being dictated yeah. what the product is worth based on supplied and demand, demand laws of a world market when how can you compare a producer in Brazil to a producer in Vietnam to a producer in Colombia? My goodness, you can't
0: no, you can't, yeah, and that's interesting that that in the last you know twenty years, so many roasters have that um entitlement to go to a grower and say. You know, I want oh, you to make this. I want to buy it at this price. Yeah. yeah, and and where that lack of respect started. I mean, it kind of sounds like it was yes. always like that. They've. Always I mean, we don't walk
1: into a coffee shop and say, "Yeah, I'm willing to give you that much for that yeah. latte." I
0: know. I love that example. <laughs> it's true. You don't do that. You, you pay what you're supposed to pay. pay it. But it's funny that of all these years, you know, we've been paying more and more and more for coffee. Per and, pound. and the funny
1: thing is now that you know, even as as the as the as, as the owner of, a, of an espresso bar, mm-hmm. coffee is still probably the cheapest thing in that cup of coffee. I pay more for milk. Yeah. Milk costs me more yes. than coffee does. And, and I make sure that my coffee is receiving a good price. Mm-hmm. And yet, milk's still going to cost, cost you more than the coffee that you're putting in that cup of coffee.
0: Wow. I think I want to leave things at that for now. I'd like to continue this conversation next week, but I think we got a good, a good dose of information
1: today. (laughs) So
0: thank you so much for being on this episode with me. No,
1: don't thank me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so happy that you're doing this. This is wonderful, and you're doing such an amazing job. Thank you, Maria.
0: See what I mean? She's so great, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so this was our what is the price of coffee episode. Next week, we're going to continue the conversation about sustainability. Um, this week's episode was recorded at the atrium in St. Thomas. It's beautiful it's in here. It's gorgeous. I know. We're looking at walls of plants, you guys. It's beautiful. Not like our normal studio is not nice, but this is gorgeous. We're a little <laughs> spoiled today. Uh, so yeah, we recorded here. The space is amazing. We, um, we're we here with Jacob Anstey, who produced and edited this episode. And he also did our intro and outro music. My name is Rachel Helm. You can find me on Instagram at HelmRach. You can find Jacob at gene__. underscore. And you can find um, Afternoon Bloom at Afternoon Bloom. We can find Maria Fiallos at Maria underscore, no, Maria underscore and underscore coffee. And that's also the name of her blog if you want to find that. Oh my God, I could plug us in every direction. Last Chica, Streamliners, Espresso Bar, you can find us everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.